This is Agent Carter on Defenders TV Podcast, Season 1, Episode 3, Time and Tide. Welcome back to Defenders TV Podcast. This is Agent Carter, Season 1, Episode 3, Time and Tide on Defenders TV Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hi, I'm one of your other hosts, John. Yeah, delighted to be back this week for the podcast. Really good and really enjoyable watching uh, Agent Carter. Absolutely. On a Sunday here in Ireland and the UK on Fox UK. Yeah, yeah. I uh, want to kick off uh, this podcast with uh, a little bit of feedback we got in since the last episode aired um, from Eric Pearson. You may remember I mentioned last week that Eric Pearson was the writer for episode two of Agent Carter and of the one shots for uh, for the Marvel movies. Um, Eric got in contact with us on Twitter, which was really nice of him. Uh, he said to the gentleman of Defenders cast, thank you sincerely. Loved the podcast. We're busy ma- making season two for you and for all. Really nice of you, Eric. Uh, he also says uh, your favorite scene from episode two was also the scene I was most proud of. So thanks again. Uh, that was the scene between Peggy and Jarvis, which we loved so much. Really, really enjoyed. Absolutely. And I think there may be another scene like that uh, in this episode that uh, caught our eye definitely yeah i think there might be i think there might be if you want to follow us on twitter you can follow us at defenders cast you can also send feedback in and please do for agent carter for our coverage for the next uh, five episodes and you can send us feedback at feedback at defenders tv podcast.com that's feedback at defenders tv podcast.com and remember you can find our podcast on www defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes subscribe there and get our feed directly into your iTunes or again any other good podcast catcher such as Stitcher or Player FM just search Defenders TV Podcasts. Yep, pretty much out there everywhere. You can also join us on Facebook. Obviously, just search Defenders TV Podcast. I think that's enough of the links for now. Um, I think we're going to crack into this week's episode. Uh, this episode, Time and Tide, was written by Andy Bushell. Uh, she's well known for her work on Alias and The Mentalist. She's also a co- co-executive producer on Agent Carter. And it was directed by Scott Winant, who is very well known right back to the days of 30-something and, and one of my favourite shows of all time, My So-Called mm. Life, which brought Jared Leto to us and brought us... Certainly did, Claire Danes. Claire Danes, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, the memories. Oh, what a wonderful show. Oh, um, the so memories. Brilliant to have Scott Winant on board for, uh, for our wonderful Peggy Carter. Uh, John, do you want to let us know what we got in this week's episode? As Peggy Carter acclimatises to life in the Griffith Hotel, a strict woman's only hostel where men are not allowed above the first floor, and keeps up her pretense of working at the telephone company, Agent Carter begins to close in on Howard Stark's stolen technology. However, Peggy's covert mission increasingly looks like it could unravel, as Strategic Scientific Reserve SSR colleagues separately investigate the green-suited man's hotel room and a license plate discovered at the remains of the Roxxon oil refinery. The circle tightens further on Agent Carter when the SSR arrests Jarvis, who has been assisting Carter, on suspicion of involvement in the Roxxon implosion. Their secret is in serious danger of being revealed until Peggy fakes incompetency in a calculated move that allows Jarvis to walk free, but in turn loses her the respect of her male colleagues. However, Carter and Jarvis immediately take up the trail of the missing weapons, leading them to a boat called Heartbreak, moored at New York's docks, where Brannis had stored all of Stark's technology. 
As Peggy dispatches a hired thug guarding the stash in an epic fight sequence, Jarvis anonymously tips off the SSR about the location of the weapons. Little do they know that they are being watched by a mysterious menace who clinically dispatches threats to their unknown agenda, causing distress and pain for the entire SSR. Oh yes, yes. Nice synopsis, John. Thank you. Yeah, and yes. really interesting. Lots of an almost going through my head. Yes. Lots of anonymity, yes, definitely. Yes, but I think I managed to get it out on the first go. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well done. Yeah, and a really good ending to this particular episode. Yeah, some nice some nice moments, which I'm sure we'll get through in our in our top five. Again, if this is your first time listening to us or you've forgotten how we cover our shows, we cover them covering five points each that stood out to us about each episode. Some crossover usually comes about during it, but through those five points, we usually cover the full full episode. John, do you want to give us your first point? Certainly, uh, and mine is the opening scene, actually, of the episode. It's the Romeo and Juliet gag uh, <laughs> at the start. It's really, really good. We like get that the Griffith Hotel is this kind of under-lock-and-key woman's-only uh, hostel. It's run by a matron-like, sort of strict, uh, sort of middle-aged lady who's absolutely immaculately uh, dressed, perfectly posed, and so on. And repeatedly tells people, you know, men are not allowed past the first floor. Mm-hmm. They're not to move from beyond the lobby. And um, of course, there's the scene where you actually think maybe it's some covert operations spying on, on Peggy's room, starts shimmying up the drain pipe. But instead, it's a, you know, it's a starstruck lover uh, called Jimmy, who's shimmying up the drain pipe to see his beautiful Juliet, in this case called Molly, yeah. um, and is met with a gun in the face <laughs> by by uh, Agent Carter. And um, just really, really good, as she says, next window over, move along, you know, what are you doing here? And it's all preceded as well by the fact she pulls out the complete uh, works of Shakespeare uh, and instead within the book is the book of symbols mm-hmm. uh, as she tries to look for the heart and the, the snake or the squiggly line symbol that Leap Brannis had, had put into the dirt in, in the last episode. So it was a really, really good little gag. I must say I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty neat, pretty smart and um, really liked it. Yeah, yeah, definitely a bit of a, a bit more West Side Story probably than uh, than Romeo and Juliet with with Jimmy and Molly rather than Romeo and Juliet, obviously, um, which I thought was a good little uh, good little joke. Yeah, definitely the uh, the the Lady Dowager of uh, of the of the Griffith is uh, is quite an interesting character. Love how she discusses you know even Harry Houdini who came here and could escape from any box known to man, any uh, any um, chains or or handcuffs that were available to him but he there's one trick he couldn't pull off which was to climb the stairs of the Griffith Hotel uh, fantastic little moment and again nice little setting of the time period I suppose and setting of the fact that this is an established or an establishment that's been around for a long time um, and has been serving this purpose for unmarried women for many years um, and unfortunately leads to a quite a sad moment when Molly gets kicked out there's, there's definitely, definitely a moment of again that period of time where you know a young unmarried woman who's definitely in a relationship with Jimmy but because it doesn't match the rules of the house she's now lost her home because of that one night you know um, yeah it's it's another one of those things that really um, talks and speaks of the the social 
um, element of that time, which is really good. I mean, it would seem that it was, um, you know, probably easier for Romeo and Juliet in, you know, 15th century uh, <laughs> Italy to go shimmying up the ivy than it is for poor old Jimmy and Molly, mm-hmm. um, you know, despite warring factions. But really, really good, really nice little gag. Yeah, and another little touch I really liked about the scene. Uh, as you see Jimmy at the opening of the episode, as the camera pans behind him, as you say, John, it looks like something out of a out of a spy film. You think that he's coming to attack Peggy. He's looking at her window, mistakenly, as we find out later on. But later on in the episode, you do see the shady figure or the anonymous figure that's standing watching over the heartbreak uh, boat is standing in exactly the same position with very similar kind of lines and very similarly shot. Uh, I believe this is also how we got introduced to the man in the green suit or the quiet man in episode one of the show. Again, a shot from behind as he watches over Peggy Carter. So, um, so yeah, they're using this little gag uh, or using that premise, I suppose, to set up this little gag as well. A really good touch. Yeah, definitely. Derek, what's uh, what's your first point? Loads to choose from in I this know. episode. Yeah, really enjoyed it. My first point is going to be about Jarvis this week. Um, one of the main characters, obviously, in the show, but a really big show for him. Big episode for him this week. Yeah, really. definitely. Yeah, um, obviously being brought in and being interrogated by Jack Thompson, um, the special interrogator of the SSR, uh, possibly going to get the stick or the carrot um, that was used in the, in episode two. Uh, I wonder, did they get a new stick after the last one broke? I'm not sure. They didn't use it on Jarvis this week, so potentially not. But I did love the whole idea of, you know, that there is a dark secret in the past of Jarvis. Um, and it shows off some really interesting connections here. So uh, essentially, he gets threatened with a charge of treason, essentially. He'd been charged and the charges dropped in the past. And Thompson is using this idea that he was suspected of treason uh, to try and get some information out about him and hopefully make him sing and hopefully get all the information about Howard Stark. Um, but as the story is revealed throughout the episode, you essentially find out that the reason why Jarvis is or was charged for treason and then dropped was because he tried to release the love of his life from um, from possibly a concentration camp during the war. Uh, you find out that she's Jewish and that his uh, his head of command, head commander, I guess, uh, lead commander. General. Thank you. <laughs> that his general uh, had some uh, papers that could have released her. Any one of them, he took them, forged the signature and got his lady wife, Anna, who we still haven't seen, uh, released from Germany. And essentially, it looks like Howard got the charges dropped, which would, I guess, show why Jarvis has such a connection with Howard Stark as well. You know, Um, quite an interesting story. And there's some great interplay between Peggy as she tries to find out that piece of information. Should she trust Jarvis or not? She tends to be quite an intelligent woman. Um, She doesn't want to be led down the garden path. She doesn't want to be... Uh, dealing with someone that is possibly someone that is against society. So Yeah, and she kind of goes fishing for it as well. It's not like she probably wants to go fishing in, in a sewer, <laughs> but she goes fishing for it. She kind of says, you know, it's your business, I don't want to know. But she's kind of saying it to say, look, come on, tell me, because actually I do need to know. But she's saying it in a very polite, kind of reserved, held back kind of, uh, I don't want to say British way, but I mean, Go on, you're that, right. but that's kind of, I think the insinuation is that trying to be kind of fairly um, calm, polite and so on. But then in the end, she just has to come out and say it and be quite direct and, yeah. and forthright and say, look, tell me, I need to know. And yeah, he then explains uh, the reason for why Thompson is accusing him of treason. And of course, if mud sticks once, 
they're trying to go for the play of, well, we can say this, it's on your record, um, and we'll try and get you riled up. Yep. And they do get him riled up. I mean, I like the steel in, in Jarvis here. I mean, he's very cool, he's very calm, he's very kind of level-headed and very loyal whilst he's in this interview room. And, of course, they're concerned that a bunch of Stark lawyers are going to come racing down. It's probably why they don't use the stick now. But... um. It's a different kind of intimidation where essentially Thompson goes for the the love of his life with this element of deportation of both him on the basis or suspicion of treason, mm-hmm. but also that his wife will. And you see a real change um, in Jarvis, which I must say I really, really liked. As soon as he is threatened, but more importantly his wife, um, he just kind of glares at Thompson and says, leave my wife out of it. Mm-hmm. Real protective. And you find out why, because he's also protected her when they had first met and fallen in love yeah. from the Germans, from this same kind of um, threatening behavior, in a sense. Um, slightly different, obviously. But again, it's the threat to the love of his life, mm-hmm. um, as uh, he did there in Hungary on, at the outbreak of World War Two, yeah. when he called in the favor of... Um, of how it starts to get that treason ultimately dropped. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose it makes a lot of sense for Peggy to be quite distrustful as well because, again, she's she's a career army person. She was taken out. She left the army, obviously, when the war ended and went to work in the SSR, but she is career army. She does... She would be very distrustful of someone that gets a dishonorable discharge, which is what happens to... Uh, what happened to Jarvis. He got the dishonorable discharge. So, and he was yeah. caught in Whitehall as well, which is the big seat of essentially all the... British government ministries. Mm -hmm. For anyone who um, is not from the UK, such as any of the uh, Irish listeners, but also American listeners, Whitehall is where all the government departments are and ministries, and it's at the old site of a huge uh, white, uh, I think, royal banqueting hall or something like that. Very interesting. Something like that. It may even still exist, or or, I don't know, within the Foreign Office or something. Mm -hmm. You've been away a while, so... uh, But thanks for... Yeah, I can't remember. I'm, I'm learning as well. Very good. Uh, John, what's your next point? I'm sticking with the Jarvis theme. Um, again, it contrasts, this this point contrasts with the steel. And I really like some of the quips and the sarcasm that Jarvis sort of displayed in this episode. I thought it was really, really, um, really great. And I think um, mm-hmm. it, it's all as Sousa and Thompson arrive at Stark's house to question him and ultimately they arrest him there whilst uh, Peggy's lurking in the background. Mm-hmm. But um, certainly like when they put him into the, the back of um, of the car that they've arrived in, he goes, this will be novel. I haven't been in the back of a car for years. Like <laughs> just making, you know... <laughs> <laughs> making the point that I'm normally up front driving Howard Stark around. Um, I really like that. And then also just to, to Peggy, he also comes in after she's said that she got an idea from uh, my landlady about places being impenetrable, of mm-hmm. which Peggy completely disagrees. And he goes, splendid. Now we can get an opinion from your butcher. Nice. <laughs> um, again, another really just like off-the-cuff um, quip, really, and again, to Susan Thompson, you know, did you lose anything recently hinting at the bumper and the car plate, license plate, that was found in the pile of rocks and rubble? Um, he kind of goes, I did lose a fountain pen on Fifth Avenue recently. It's all just really nice little 
off-the-cuff sort of quips and, and sarcasm, which I can imagine would rile up uh, the SSR agents absolutely, absolutely no end. <laughs> but then as well, you get the reverse of that. And this is what makes, I think, Jarvis and, and uh, Peggy just so good as well, is that he's talking about the break into Howard's vaults when all these weapons were stolen. And, of course, you've got... He talks about the tremendous thunderstorm that was occurring, which made it difficult to hear anything. But he goes, I'm afraid the sultry combination of candlelight and rain puts me out like a baby and like Peggy retorts back again she quips back with you're quite the guard dog so it, it's just <laughs> that lovely uh, back and forth between the two of yeah. quips uh, and sarcasm uh, and just the the great humor that that brings and the lightness of touch to that relationship which is really really nice um, and it really stood out to me in, in this episode I really liked it so that's that's definitely um one of my my points for this episode. Yeah, we do love our Jarvis. We love love a couple of Jarvisisms. Yeah, I, I think we'll, we'll call them <laughs> the the Jarvisisms. That's as bad as anonymously. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, but yeah, I really like that stuff. That just does kind of lead in slightly to one of my points. Um, just trying to work it out. It looks like there's a scene that's in there that's either cut or maybe it just didn't pan out the way that the writers had intended it, and um, where. The SSR arrive at the door and um, Peggy hides behind the door while Jarvis answers the door. Um, she leaves her bag at the top of the stairs on a little table, um, which is directly in Jack Thompson's eyeline uh, as as Jarvis opens the door. Um, definitely think that was going to play out in some sense. Definitely think that there were going to be some point made about is there a woman in the house? Is there someone behind Jarvis in the house that Thompson being the investigator that he is, of course he'd take a quick look over the shoulder and, and see if he could see inside the house, you know. I wonder if that was something that was written in or I wonder if that was something that was intended to go down a different path and then it changed later on. It just stood out to me as being an interesting point. Yeah, no, I spotted that as well. I, I did think that it was going to get caught and he was going to have to make up some excuse. Again, maybe that it was his wife's mm-hmm. and, and it, it didn't pan out. But yeah, no, I, I thought the same kind of thing. There's actually one thing as well that uh, I wanted to say uh, when you said that we hadn't seen Jarvis's wife mm. I actually think it's quite good that we don't see her and I'm, it's kind of to me it reminds me of Charlie Brown's mum in, in off camera it's always those great off camera characters that you may never see but it influences everything that's on camera in particular obviously with Jarvis and for Jarvis that, but you never see them I yeah. really like that kind of concept which seems to be happening because we heard her though in this episode that's right so, that's right but we yeah we didn't see her yeah there have been a few shows that have done that in the past right? there's uh, Cheers where Norm's wife you never saw for yeah. the eight series of the show I think I, I don't actually watch it but I think on um, How I Met Your well How I Met Your Mother you never see the mother obviously for the full for the full show there's the Big Bang Theory where some of the mothers are around, but you've never actually met any of the characters. Um, so it is quite a good trope yeah, to use. Yeah, exactly. You know? But I think in a show that's about crime and investigation and possible threats around every corner, the one thing that it always strikes to me is, who is Anna? Do we know Anna in a different form possibly in the show? So it does intrigue me. Is there another character that's in there already that Jarvis hasn't met up with? Uh, on the show or Jarvis hasn't seen but we've seen as the audience so I'm intrigued to see potentially there Maybe. could be a character already yeah. there yeah interesting so John back to you about your next point mine was just a bag that potentially had some significance and then didn't panic I'm I'm back to Jarvis and Peggy again and it, it's 
the, it's their show. <laughs> it, well, it is. It's it's really the exchange that they have on the heartbreak, the the ship that um, they they come across, and where they find Howard Stark's weapons tech, mm-hmm. um, and like obviously it's, a, it's another point further down. But you know, Jarvis and, um, and Peggy have a, a great exchange um, after they've found it and they've dispatched the the guard that's dealing with it and uh, you know Peggy is very much there saying right let's call in the SSR they'll come and we'll get all the glory you know mm. we, we will vindicate ourselves um, and, and so on and Jarvis moves into this role which is um, it's, he's essentially then forces her to run through how she would deal with the SSR and her colleagues when they arrive. And it's, in a sense, um, a tough lesson. Um, but friendly advice, you know, in the guise of a, of, a, of a tough lesson. And he's doing it from their perspective as men. Um, and in, in a slight sense, he's kind of saying, look, you may think that they will just come in and say, well done, Peggy, um, you've solved everything, Howard Stark isn't the big bad that we all yeah. think he is. But he's calling her out and saying, that's slightly naive. He doesn't call her naive, and I'm not saying that she is, because she's incredibly smart. But in this case, it's that she is ahead of her time. And so even though it doesn't matter that she's a woman that's done this or how she's done it undercover, they will feel betrayed because, A, she's gone behind her back, two, as well then, because of that social climate which is that she's also a woman and yeah. he, he runs it through and it says they will use it to tear you down you know and he comes out with to clear Mr. Stark's name you must do it from the shadows and like you can see how Peggy is so frustrated by this like you know do you know the day I've had because you know she's had to put a reputation on the line previously in order to help Jarvis escape the interview room by pretending that she's an incompetent woman yeah. who's all dappy and he doesn't know. And, you know, in a sense, she gets a dressing down in the SSR by Chief Dooley. And this is, you know, a really bad um, day. And this, for her, is this will vindicate me as an agent, but as a female agent. And Jarvis just, you know, essentially runs her through the scenario. And it says, publicly revealing this info won't clear his name. It'll only place you under suspicion. Yeah. And all of a sudden the penny drops as she's got to, um, you know, play the game um, as he tests Peggy's kind of responses and that she won't simply be the hero like she was um, during World War Two. Yeah. She will be placed under suspicion. That will be used to undermine her. And actually to do all of this, she needs to still step back and do things Um from behind the curtain and behind the veil, as it were. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a horrible scene and another harsh truth for uh, for Peggy that despite the fact that she got up so high in, in World War II and got, was so well-respected that regardless of what she does right now, particularly doing something undercover behind the backs of the SSR, won't prove her mettle to them. Um, you know, I think the line she specifically says is, in her frustration, she says, I will call them in and they will respect me. 
because yeah. she's had such an awful time. Like you bring up the point that she's played the stupid woman card, I suppose, is is, is what yeah. she had to do um, to get out of it. But it's the reaction of them where they not only did she have to do that and make this ditzy blonde moment, I suppose, would be the old way that you call it. But not only did she do that, the rest of the SSR fundamentally believed that that's what she would do because she's a woman. It's it's not it wasn't a difficult acting job that she had to do. She just said one thing to them. Oh, I forgot. I, I picked up this piece of paper, the uh, the missing car report, and they instantly look at her and go, "Oh, you would do that because you're a woman." It's a horrible thing for her to have to experience, and she was hoping that by finding all the weapons, she can then reveal herself to be just as good a person at at investigations as the rest of the SSR. But there's nothing for her. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and it's the public humiliation of it that Chief Dooley doesn't pull her aside into the office. Mm -hmm. He does it in front of all the other agents, all the other male agents. And that is the thing that, as well, has her totally frustrated. And it's a really great exchange between these two characters. I mean, firstly, there's the humour, there's the the quips and the sarcasm, which is great. And this is the other side of it. The real serious moments where it's almost a heart-to-heart. And here... Jarvis is almost playing a tough love kind of game. He's picking at what she's going to say. um, But in effect, it is friendly advice to say, look, I know how these guys are going to respond to this. Not because I agree with them, but because I know how they will do it. Because I'm a man and I've seen it happen time and time again. And you need to be aware of it. And he's helping her. But it's a kind of a tough love, really. Yeah, yeah really, and really bitter But a pill great to exchange of dialogue there. Really yeah. good. Really liked it. Really huge, liked huge it. Huge props again to the to the writers of the show. They're doing a great job of just keeping that balance again. Not having Peggy crying in the corner. She's definitely getting angry. She definitely would be a role model now if she was around. Uh, in our days now, she would be lauded for what she does uh, in this show. But these are challenging times and she's going to battle right through it definitely but it leads me on to my next point which is Ooh. another fun little moment of the episode I'm going to go back to Jarvis as well uh, great little <laughs> Jarvis, moment Jarvis 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 it is it's just such a great episode for him you know um, we, we and then he becomes Ultron yeah yeah he is the bad. template for Ultron yeah, yeah. bad boy <laughs> bad boy but I don't know whether his accent played into that at all but his accent in this episode is fantastic where he calls in the uh <laughs> the find at the uh, at the heartbreak uh, using his American accent. John, do you want to tell us what he said? No, I won't make you do that. Um, <laughs> hey, Mac. <laughs> oh, go on. I can't do it. Hey, Mac. I've got a hot tip for you. There you go. That's about as good as Jarvis's accent. But I love <laughs> how he ends the call with... Uh, I'm Have so a lovely evening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is another wonderful British phrase uh, that does not translate into the broad New York accent he's trying to go for. A fantastic little moment. No, he just slips back into it, sort of a, a polite Englishness. <laughs> um, and it, it it's really funny because as well, it's, it's just that whole, you know, doing an accent, trying to do an accent is so difficult. I mean... You know, I'm trying to actually act an accent that is bad. Mm-hmm. It's probably just as hard as well to make sure that well, I can put on a good New York or American accent. Say, yeah, um, I've heard it. You can. 
No, not me. I mean Jarvis. But it's just like the 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 actor who plays him. I mean James Darcy. Yeah. Um. You know, he probably he probably can do a really good American accent, but he's having to do a forced kind of slightly stiff upper lip British person trying to do a nineteen forties you know proper New York accent. Dark worker accent. Yeah, too. it's really really good. Um. It is. That it's it's that bad, and he manages to do it that bad. Mm-hmm. Then again, maybe he can't. But it, it's <laughs> it's the other way around as well. It, you know, um, just doing a British or even like actors doing Irish accents and so oh, yes. on, so difficult. Um, yeah. And the reverse being true. So that's why my accent was dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We won't we won't hold you up to it, Tom. Uh, but yeah, just absolutely love that moment. It's really really interesting. After Jarvis has talked. Uh, Peggy down from calling in and ruin her, her career he then realizes he has to call it in and they know his voice so he has to do the American accent just a hilarious really really good moment nice bit of fun in this episode yeah, definitely um, John what's your next point we find the meaning of the heart and snake symbol yes we do so we were all talking about Leviathan and mm-hmm. what's this and what's that you know we're trying to think you know is it medical whatever is it a snake um, no it is actually a heart and a rope, and it's the uh, ensign of the ship, the Heartbreak, where Stark's stash of, or Stark's stolen stash of um, the bad babies has been taken by Leap Branis. The bad babies, I yeah. like that term as well. <laughs> All his weapons that he's trying to keep out of the hands of yeah. uh, of everybody. Yeah, really You know, um, there they are in the ship, and... Leap Brannis was trying to tell them where he had essentially stashed all these stolen um, weapons. Yeah. And there they are, on a ship, moored in the docks at the end of the sewer that they've just crawled through from um, Stark's uh, house, from underneath Stark's house. Yeah, yeah. And there it is. So we can sometimes speculate about these symbols and, ooh, is it Leviathan? Is it, you know, something to do with something else or whatever, but actually in this case it was the ensign for, for the ship. For the ship, yeah. And I do like the fact that Leap Branis did actually give up the location of the uh, of, of the equipment essentially. Yeah. I'd said last week that that if um if he'd had his working voice box, uh, that was the piece of equipment that uh, unfortunately broke in the in the fallout of the truck. Uh, if he'd had that pushed up against his neck he probably would have give up given up any piece of information that that Agent Carter wanted before he died. Um, it did look like that's exactly what he did here. He gave up the only thing he could, which was the symbol on the boat. Don't know how she was expected to find it, but uh, but at least we know that for some reason Lee Branis was willing to give up this information. Yeah, yeah, it was re- really good. And um, there's a little Easter egg in the name as well, the heartbreak. I think so, I think so. Um, I just think it's an interesting touch, one of the most famous armors that has been in the Iron Man movie. Um, obviously featuring Tony Stark, the son of Howard, uh, is the Heartbreaker armor. Uh, one of the most well-known. It's a, it's quite a big armor. You'd see it in, uh, I think it's Iron Man 1, Iron Man 2, one of those, one of the earlier ones. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was a nice little touch that the boat, that the ship here holding all of his father's uh, equipment is the Heartbreak, and that's one of the suits. I'm sure, you know, after, after he ran through a number of names, his suits start to get numbers, so it's just... Iron Man suit 41, 42, but, uh, yeah, yeah. but some of the early suits he definitely had names for, and the Heartbreaker was one of them. So I just thought it was a nice little touch. Well done again for the writers. Good stuff. Derek, what's your next point then? 
My next one's kind of a big one here. Uh, the Ray Krasminski, uh, who we saw a very small amount of in the first two episodes. Uh, just kind of the idiot on the SSR that people were take, making fun of and, um, you know, a couple of comments from, from other people about how, how stupid he was. Uh, just wanted to point out, point out a couple of big things about Ray Krasminski in this episode. He is very central to it, so not a huge shock that he was killed by the end of the episode. It does happen a lot of times when you build up a character at the start. By the end of the episode, they, they're uh, they're dead. Uh, but I didn't see his murder coming the way it did. But a couple no, of things about him. Yeah, a couple of things about him. Even though everybody calls him the idiot of the SSR, he is the one that finds the passports in the hotel room at the beginning of the episode. He is the one that finds the reg plate in amongst all the rubble of Roxanne and knows that it's something that needs to be investigated, um, which I think is very interesting because without him, there would have been no tracking down of Jarvis. He is the catalyst for the entire episode. Absolutely. And also, with one other big moment, he's obviously getting his own back on Sousa for the comment that Sousa made, that he was the idiot of the department, essentially, because he asks Sousa, is he sweet on Peggy Carter? And then says, you're wasting your time. There's no way she'll give up the stars and stripes for an aluminum crutch, which I think is a horrible put down. Really harsh. For poor Sousa. Um, Not a nice guy, I will say, definitely, Ray Krasminski, but... I do like some of the little touches that they did to build out the character throughout this episode. Yeah, and of course, remember, he is essentially being given a huge piece of information by the the hired thug who has been taken in after Jarvis has done the anonymous tip-off, who um, is someone who I'll talk about in my next point, but um, he's a hired guard, um, he's in a fight with, with Peggy, but he is essentially saying about the English broad, she's good in a fight and so on. Mm-hmm. Krasminski is essentially starting to learn here as he's driving this guy back for interview that there is an English woman who is handy in a fight. Yeah. Um, it's connected to the Starks. He probably would put two and two together and make four and make the come to the conclusion that it is Peggy Carter. Yeah. So he's been given a huge amount of information here, and the big wow moment, which is Krasminski's death yeah. at the hands of then this unknown um, menace, this unknown person who is there watching the SSR offload all of uh, Stark's tech and so on. And I thought that was. Um, I thought that was really um, like a big end scene, really. Mm. And not just because of Krasminski's death, but it has huge ramifications then through the SSR. And Absolutely. That's what it does it to his colleagues. Um, I don't know whether he has any friends in um, the SSR as such, um, but you know, even people like Peggy, who... Um, shouldn't like him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's cheating on his wife. Yeah, he's got a girlfriend, you know. Um, but even Peggy says to Angie, I think, right at the end, you know, someone died in my work today. I didn't get on with him. I didn't don't know whether I I liked him, but he was good at his job. Yeah. He, and he was. And it, and it's in contrast to Susan obviously saying to him, "You're the idiot of the office." Yeah, you know, playing up to that fact maybe that he he was doing that. And um, she was saying he was actually good at his job. Yeah, and um, despite 
everything that should keep them apart, she is still sad that he's obviously being killed. Yeah, yeah. Like Peggy says, she's a he's a brute, he's a cheat, and disrespectful, but good at his job. Uh, and I like the again another great reaction from Sousa here who reacts as if he's back at war. It's reminded him that essentially life is precious. It's reminded him that once you're in the trenches with other with other people, uh, any time someone could be taken out. It's just bringing him back to, again, the fact that he is someone that survived a war and has had to pay a price for that. You're um, on the same side, and you might not always get on with everyone on the same side, let yeah. alone the people you're fighting. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, he also blames the person that rang in the tip. Um, so... Unbeknownst to him, he's blaming Jarvis for the death of Chris Minsky. Uh, if it hadn't been him that called in the tip, they wouldn't have been sent down in the middle of the night. It wouldn't have been Chris Minsky that, w- that was killed, essentially. Um, Chief Dooley continues to blame Howard Stark and now has a, has a very personal reason for that. One of his men w- were killed in the pursuit of Howard Stark's tech. If he just could have kept it under wraps, his men wouldn't be involved and now one of them wouldn't be dead. Yeah, it's a proper vendetta now um, beginning to build um, from from Chief Dooley. And I really like that because it's it's vicious. I mean, it's personal, um, as you say. But that's the other great sort of the shockwave of that death is that it just rippled out to the other members of the SSR um, in different ways and I thought that was a really really good way of doing it because it could quite easily have just finished with um, both Krasminski and the hired thug that he was taking in for questioning being shot and end credits yeah. and I like that they showed the aftermath uh, of, of how it affected these people involved in a covert um, operation because if they do tell people like Peggy does to Angie she has to make up a story about it. Yeah. It's not the actual truth. She's honest, but it's not the truth. And I believe that's the same kind of um, phrasing that um, Jarvis said down in, in the sewer, that he always tells Anna, he's always honest to Anna, he doesn't necessarily tell her the full truth. Yeah. So a really nice little link in there, I think, as Absolutely. well. Definitely. Absolutely. So with Krzminski, we hardly knew you, uh, but... Sad loss for the SSR, considering how good he was at his job. Uh, John, do you want to give us your final point? Yeah, my final point is the fight between the heavy, the thug, in um, on the ship, on the heartbreak. Yes, Jerome. With Peggy Carter. Mm-hmm. Jerome, yeah. Really, really liked it. It showed Peggy as being smart. It's tough, physical, Really, really liked it. I love the fact that Jarvis comes in. He's no fighter. Absolutely. You know, is essentially <laughs> up against the um, the hull of the ship, yeah. being strangled to death, and we get to see the constrictor. I mean, something that, to be perfectly honest, I thought he was going to soil his pants. It, you know, if it relaxes every <laughs> muscle in, in the body, this was kind of almost like an Eric Cartman moment, uh-huh. um, you know, that unfortunately... And everything was going to flush out, as it were. But it was really, really good. And, I mean, I just then, it just felt like a Cluedo moment as well. It was like Peggy Carter in the heartbreak ship with the lead pipe as she, (laughs) you know, after using the constrictor because it's like, there goes the lead pipe. I mean, that was a good kick up from the floor and a whack. I mean, I'm surprised he was still alive to be taken into questioning after it, but it was a really good um, fight scene. And obviously it was prefaced by the threat from uh, Jerome that 
I don't mind taking out a woman. Um, yeah. You know, I've got no qualms about killing a woman. So it was tough, it was rough, yeah. and Peggy came up to the surface and, and like the cream at the top of the milk, really good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now you may, you may say Jarvis is bad in a fight, but great thing for him is that he is a great distraction if somebody's attacking Peggy so uh, without his distraction that's true she may not have survived um, definitely loved this scene it really reminded me of the scene towards the end of season 2 of, uh, of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where um, where Fitz comes in and smacks someone over the head with an iron bar and with the welcome to science bitch or this is science bitch that one yeah yeah um, <laughs> She needs to work on her action hero one-liners, I think, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think it's a British thing to do, though. I don't know. Uh, but no, really enjoy well, the lead that. pipe is. <laughs> yes, certainly is. <laughs> Might be getting a lead pipe to the head in a minute, listeners, <laughs> if I don't start uh, calming down. Uh, but no, an excellent scene. Really, really good. Yeah, so Derek, what's your final point? My final point is Angie and Peggy. Great yeah. little moment at the end. At the end of it, you did mention it a bit, so I'm not gonna not gonna say too much about it. But uh, I really do like that it's you know they have the little moment earlier on in the episode where Angie comes in to visit Peggy after a really sad day or a really poor day for her. We never find out what the reason for her bad day was. Uh, we presume it's not as bad as the kind of days Peggy's been having recently. Um, but she essentially comes in and says, you know, I've got a bottle of peach snaps and some rhubarb tart. What's Ruby Tart? Rhubarb. What a combination. <laughs> Winning combination of right. of rhubarb tart and, and, and blueberry tart as yeah. well. That's what I was confusing it with. But yeah, a bottle of, a bottle of snaps and, and some rhubarb Rubri- <laughs> tart. It's a it's a new fruit that's been invented on Defenders uh, TV yes, podcast. It, has. Yes, it, it has. was a nice combination. I wonder if it would peach snaps with rhubarb tart. Lovely. Yes, peach snaps and rhubarb tart. Um, see which one makes us sick first is essentially the challenge. Uh, but Peggy dismisses her, sends her out of the room. and uh, and But Peggy does go straight to her when she's had her awful day after losing a member of the team and obviously having to, you know, having that pressure of essentially showing herself off as a as a, a just a stupid woman again in front of the SSR, which she absolutely didn't want to do. And yeah, nice little moment between the two of them. It's nice to know that Peggy has a friend that's outside of the, uh, outside of the system, essentially. Yeah, I, I thought this was a nice little moment uh, between the two, and I thought it was that realization from Peggy of the importance of, um, you know, friends, as you say, outside the SSR, mm. but also her colleagues, even if they are um, a bit brutey and not necessarily someone you would socialize with. Just the importance of, you know, human connection and close connection, not just isolating herself off from the world which i think again you know has been triggered from what jarvis and her talked about in the previous episode where you know he essentially said to her you can't go down this road on your own Mm -hmm. everyone needs help you help captain america i'm here to help you so i think the seeds have been sown and she realizes that and I, i think that's a nice bit of continuity as well for those characters yeah yeah really really good definitely so that concludes the top five for the episode. Uh, John, do you have any particular notes about this episode? The only uh, note that I have is the um, introduction of Molly's replacement at the Griffith Hotel, mm. which was Dorothy Underwood, the new tenant. Because just because she was introduced, I was like, is she important? 
She's from Iowa, but mm-hmm. she could easily be from Hydra, <laughs> potentially. Um, that's nothing against Maybe. anyone from Iowa. Um, and, of course, that she was called Dottie. Um, or we could call her Doey. Yes, we could. Another nickname for Dorothy. Yeah. Of course, that's my mum's name. So, Dorothy... Doey, Dotty. Um, she prefers Doey. Um, mm-hmm. Bizarrely, not Dotty. I would um, never call her Doey. <laughs> no, neither do I. Fe- you know, I call her Mum. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like literally, is Dorothy Underwood Molly's replacement, or is it something else, something bigger, a mm. ruse of some kind? Just the fact that she was introduced, I immediately w- went interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. So you know, it is. An interesting introduction. It yeah. could just be the neighbour. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah. I, I or of, something else. Yeah, I, I definitely felt there's a there's the indication again, as I mentioned earlier on. This is an institute that's been going on for many many years. Mentions of of Houdini performing there, which is twenty or thirty years prior to this time. And um, there's clearly women in waiting looking to get rooms in there. So Dorothy is the new addition to to uh, Griffith Hotel. To Griffith Hotel, yeah. So, um, so I'm interested. Yeah, let's let's see how the cast of characters in the Griffith are uh, coming along. Uh, I think it would be a great sitcom based in there as well. Um, if we, uh, if if all the all the crime is cleared up in America, you could have a great sitcom based in uh, in the Griffith Hotel as well. So, uh, particularly with Dorothy, who seems to be uh, not very knowledgeable about uh, about the ways of the world by the sounds of things young Iowa girl coming up to make it big in ballet in New York. So let's, yeah. let's see how that plays out in the next couple of episodes. Absolutely. So Derek, do you have any notes? Yeah, a couple of notes, actually. Uh, one big one that I left out of my points for some reason was uh, the investigation into Leet Branis. Um, they find out that he's been dead for two years. That yes. The, that essentially, Leet Branis died in, in a particular battle. Uh, which hopefully we'll find out more about in the next couple of episodes. It is quite a big point. That's uh, that investigation's going on into this really strange character, the the Lee Branis, the man who had his voice box removed, essentially, where which is why he had the um, the three point uh, incision in his throat, isn't it? Um, yeah, and they find out that he the amalgam in his teeth was Russian, mm. um, and we also find out that Agent Thompson. Um, has a friend in Moscow. That's right. Is that important? Mm. I wonder. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe Agent Thompson's on the turn as well. But you never know. You never mm. know. Uh, but yeah, I just thought that was an interesting point as well. Um, one big one for me because I love Easter eggs, so I was really excited mm, by this one. I do. <laughs> Every time, mm, chocolate Easter egg. Chocolate. Every time. Um, but yeah, I loved the uh, the passports that will little nod so when Krasbinski finds the passports in uh, the hotel room of the uh, of the quiet man um, he mentions that there are six passports in there two for Britain two for America and two Italian passports um, and when he reads out the names of them Chief Dooley says obviously a movie fan which got me thinking what are those names okay so just yes. in case you missed them because I, I missed all of them I got got some of them and missed the full set so the British passports were uh, the name was Alfred Lean, which is a, a reference to Alfred Hitchcock and David Lean, two very famous directors from yep. around that time. Um, the American passports were Orson and Hawks, which are Orson Welles, very famous director, mm-hmm. and Howard Hawks. Howard Hawks, yeah. Um, two very famous uh, characters around that time. And then the Italian passports were Federico Rossellini. Uh, now, that's Federico Fellini and Roberto Rossellini. 
So two Italian directors, which I thought was a really nice touch, a nice little yeah, was really good, in. yeah, yeah, really and, good little touch, and very famous as well at the time. So obviously, Dooley would catch that very quickly. He's an investigator, investigator, but it was it was almost instantly once he got the connections. It was like he was doing a crossword. He ca- caught them instantly. Really, really interesting yeah, touch. Yeah. yeah, really nice. That's my notes for this week. Uh, to sum up, John, do you defend this episode of Agent Carter? I do defend this episode of Agent Carter. I think, like last week, it was a really solid, really good episode. Again, I think, for me, the big aspect of this was Jarvis and Peggy's relationship really deepening, really developing, both in terms of how they interact and talk to one another and also with the humour. Obviously, the big wow of Krasminski being killed Mm. and taken out. I would give this four lead pipes smashing across a temple out of five. (laughs) Very good. Very good. Um, But I really, really enjoyed it. Um, You know, just a nice progression on from, from the last episode. And again, more intrigue. You know, it is a spy and an espionage based. So it's great to have a new man in the shadows watching over the SSR, you know, that new uh, person that watching and waiting and who ultimately uh, dispatched Krasminski. Very interesting that you say it like that. What? Because I definitely think that shadow looked like a woman. Oh, well, maybe. Dressed in the maybe. dark. I definitely had the feeling that there was some some way about the movement of, uh, of her when she comes in. Okay. I'm going to say female, but uh, some way about the way she moved and shot the two characters in the car that made me think it was a woman. Yeah, maybe, maybe. So I really liked this episode. I thought it was great. Another solid one. And I mean, the standout for me was, again, the exchange between... Um, Edwin Jarvis and Peggy Carter, Mm -hmm. um, and this time him giving her more advice on, in a sense, the poor realities of that world at that time, even though he doesn't agree with them. So really good. Um, And uh, again, the nice Romeo and Juliet or the the Sharks and the Jets uh, reference there at the start, loved, really nice opening. Yeah, yeah. Derek, do you defend this episode of Agent Carter? I do defend this episode. Definitely the second time I watched this episode, I liked it a lot more. Um, it is a lot a lot more more deliberately paced, I think I'd like to say, uh, than the first two episodes. Uh, in the US, the first two episodes are broadcast back to back, like a, a, a one hour, two hour long featurette or feature, I okay, suppose. Yeah. Um, and this was the second episode that was broadcast. Over here, we had three episodes in a row. So you would kind of, get the feeling from the first two episodes it's going to be an action-packed TV show. Uh, this episode isn't as action-packed. There's a lot more character moments in here. Um, watching it with ad breaks, I suppose, you can tell, you know, two of the ad or two of the sections of the show were quite slow in a way or quite deliberately paced, as I said, um, but really are building on characters quite well. I, I wouldn't lose a moment from the from the episode. Um, hearing, you know, other, other people ask Peggy, is she married? And her saying, no, I'm married to the job. Really nice touches like that yeah. where where you're getting much more knowledge about this era of of, uh, of history in America, which I don't know much about, you know? it's I've always seen war movies and people coming home from, from war as always from the male perspective and seeing it from the female yep. perspective is really well written. And it's a Marvel show. I didn't expect it from a Marvel show to be this, I suppose, this well put together. Um, I've never been let down. As I said, I'm the huge Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fan here. I've never been let down. And the more shows I see from the Marvel Studios, they're doing a brilliant job. I think uh, Jeff Loeb is the one that runs the studio, and he's really guiding these shows into becoming 
really good representations of their eras and of their um, of their setups and of their overall storyline. I'm really enjoying them. Yeah, I mean, just picking up on that point about, you know, seeing it from the woman's perspective, it is that whole aspect and something I really, really like, whether it's in books, um, comics, film... I love that kind of whole period of like the 20s, 30s and 40s where you have such rapid social change. Mm. You know, it's a cultural shift to an extent. Um, you know, the, the women get the, the vote. Um, there's all this type of thing, um, you know, moving on from the suffragettes. Then the war comes and mm-hmm. they get put into um, positions of of uh, manufacturing, of, of uh, administration, of, of power. And it's really good to to see that. And then there's almost like this a collective uh, forgetfulness and, and all that seems to be forgotten. And it's like they're supposed to take up um, these menial tasks or be spoken to um, like second-class citizens Absolutely. and they're not going to stand for it. And it's that next stage of that social change. And I love that kind of dynamic and I love that being explored, written about, shown on TV. Um, it, it, it's really, really good. And that's part of the thing that I find fascinating uh, with Agent Carter. I mean, I, I just recall like my gran um, in the World War Two. Like raising money, um, you know, heading up to raise money in order to donate to build more fighter planes. Yeah, things like that that were being done for the 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 war effort in that sense. You know, to protect the UK from essentially uh, Nazi uh, Germany coming in. Like it's really interesting to hear that she did that. Um, it, it's. I mean, she didn't work in in the the industries, but mm-hmm. it was taking on this role of um, raising money to help with building um, planes. Yeah, Amazing. the war effort. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. I'm really hoping that some of the writers that are on this show and some of the people that are guiding the the Peggy Carter character, I'm hoping they're going to be taken on board for shows like Jessica Jones, for Daredevil season two, where we did say that the female characters within the first season of Daredevil weren't the strongest elements of the show. We did love the show, as you as you know, if you've heard our podcasts. Uh, we absolutely love the <laughs> yeah, show. Absolutely. Um, but hopefully we can have this group of writers who've done such a good job can transition over and start working on those other shows and hopefully give a bit more depth to those characters. I have no doubt after reading the comic books and no doubt after watching the Marvel TV shows that Jessica Jones is going to be a fantastic show and hopefully they can give her some semblance of depth that they've been able to put into Agent Carter. Uh, Really, really enjoying the show so far. Absolutely. I think um, on that note, it's to say that we will be back next week following Agent Carter um, on Fox UK on uh, the Sunday. Uh, We'll be back with another podcast and of course, please Uh, listen to us send in your thoughts or comments and you can listen to us at www.defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash itunes and you can search on any other good podcast catcher for defenders tv podcast send in your feedback send in your comments your thoughts any stories um, about the show um, or, to any do, or any that. stories whatsoever, exactly, <laughs> um, to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. Um, again, 
we will see you in a week's time. Yes, for the fantastically named The Blitzkrieg Button. Oh, oh. fantastic. Nice. Really excited. And with that, just one little thing to say, John. Shut up, English. You speak too much anyway. <laughs> Whatever, Irish. Bye.